Hey, welcome to another Enneagram podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yet another Enneagram podcast. But this one's different. Another Enneagram podcast is here to help you be a better leader for your team. We know leadership is already challenging enough, and it can be downright frustrating when your team communication breaks down. Another Enneagram podcast is here to tell you stories of leaders just like you who are learning how to lead their teams better with the Enneagram. If you want your team to communicate better, be more productive, and love their jobs, another Enneagram podcast is for you. Hey, welcome to another Enneagram podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. This week, we are replaying uh, an episode of a different podcast that I was able to go on as a guest and be an interview. It's called Mind Your Hustle. It's a podcast for entrepreneurs uh, and helping entrepreneurs to maintain healthy rhythms and, and good mental health as they take on the different uh, obstacles and challenges and everything else that comes along with starting and running a business. So I got to go on and talk about what the Enneagram can do for entrepreneurs. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Hope you enjoy this episode of Mind Your Hustle. One of the big things though that I think sets the Enneagram apart from some other ones is that it focuses a lot more on people's like internal motivations rather than just external actions. Hey Hustlers, I'm Michelle and welcome back to Mind Your Hustle, a podcast series where I interview entrepreneurs about their journey, struggles, and secrets to success. Today we're talking to Ryan Mayfield, a team consultant and Enneagram coach at Evergreen. Hey Ryan, thanks for joining us on Mind Your Hustle. I'm super excited to dig into the Enneagram today with you. Yeah, excited to be here. Awesome. So why don't we start with you introducing yourself and telling us how you got into the Enneagram in the first place? Yeah. So my name is Ryan Mayfield. Uh, I run a a team consultation business using the Enneagram. Uh, For me though, it, it was, I don't know if it's a non-traditional path or, or how you would classify it exactly, but I have been on a lot of different teams where, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people I think will identify with this, you know, you go through this training and that training and like most people in corporate world have done like disc assessments or Myers-Briggs or, you know, and there's actually a billion of those different kinds of things. And so uh, my on-ramp to Enneagram stuff was just sitting through the trainings. Right. And eventually uh, I was on a team that went through an Enneagram training and it just hit in a different way. And I think Mm -hmm. it stuck a little bit more than some of the others, you know, some of the biggest problems that, I hear about with, with those different kinds of things are people will go through a training and it's good, but then a week, two weeks later, you're busy and you kind of go back to life as it was. Right. Right. Right? And so with the Enneagram, what I noticed was not only did it stick, but it also uh, continued to grow. Like outside of just that team, it funneled down the organization. It went into people's personal lives and marriages. And so it just became a really strong, um, tool in that group. And so I was like, man, this is something I should look into even more. And so just kind of organically got into it that way. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about why the Enneagram is just such a well-rounded personality test or? um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think there's a lot of good 
personality assessments out there. You know, I mentioned a couple of really popular ones already. One of the big things, though, that I think sets the Enneagram apart from some other ones is that it focuses a lot more on people's like internal motivations rather than just okay. external actions. Got it. Got it. I, I have heard someone else describe it the same way. And um, I think that's really interesting, like going more from internal motivations rather than external factors. Um, so I do think a lot of, in my experience, the other tests that I've taken for work specifically, they, um, they're testing you based off your reactions to, like I just said, external factors, external um, variables, and how you'd react versus this is more of an internal like motivation kind of thing. Right. Okay, right. cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering, why is there such a strong tie between the Enneagram and religion? You know, I, I've definitely seen a lot of that, but I've also seen the opposite where there's been some pushback from religious groups. Okay. I do think that um, the Enneagram just in its history has been carried through a lot of religious groups. Um, mm -hmm. The biggest one probably is like the Jesuit order kind of preserved it for a long time and used it to uh, to help care for people, honestly. Uh, and so I think that could be a big part of why different religious groups might be, you know, attracted to it is that it does really focus on people as individuals with, with individual needs. Right. And so if you're part of a religious group who values highly caring for individuals, mm -hmm. then it's a really helpful tool for that. Got it. Got it. And I think, I mean, some of us might not want to admit, but we all enjoy learning more about ourselves. And um, yeah. yeah, so even just finding out about the Enneagram a while back, I was like, oh, another personality test. Like, yes, I get to <laughs> learn more about right. myself. But it's really about personal development, not just like categorizing yourself correct. It's like understanding yourself even better and getting to know yourself and um, what pushes you to do certain things and just your natural, well, let me ask you, do, can your Enneagram type change throughout the years or is it just something that you always have? So most like popular Enneagram teachers and, and even psychologists, this is where some of this kind of all mm -hmm. comes together in agreement is that uh, your personality is obviously being formed for quite a while as you're growing up, but at least in our modern day Western culture, mm -hmm. most of them would agree that your personality kind of settles somewhere around age 20. Okay. Uh, and that's not like a hard number, but it is on average about where most people kind of come into their own, that they're, they're mm -hmm. figuring out who they are. For most people, it's the first time they're out from underneath, you know, their parents' mm -hmm. guidance and supervision. Uh, but at that point in time, you haven't quite learned how to keep yourself in check yet. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, as everybody knows, 20 year olds are the smartest age group and, and <laughs> yeah. know everything. Uh, <laughs> yes, <of course. laughs> and, and so uh, 20 is about the age when it seems like most people are most fully their personalities, mm -hmm. um, but most, most unchecked in that. Now, okay. beyond that age, it typically doesn't change, and you'll find different people with different opinions about this, uh, but what I generally teach is that no, your Enneagram number doesn't change past then with the little asterisks of like major traumatic events, you right. know, and I mean things like 
post-traumatic stress disorder and, mm -hmm. you know, big, big things like that. So unless something huge like that happens to shift someone's personality, then no, your core type does not change. Got it. Got it. And um, so I know you briefly described how you got into the Enneagram. Can you tell us a bit about the history of the Enneagram, how that really started? Um, just a brief summary of where it really came from. Sure. Well, again, you're getting into places where you're going to hear different stories. So right. <laughs> it's not super clear on where it started, although we do know it is very, very old. So you can find lots of evidence of um, much older civilizations, especially in like the Middle East, mm -hmm. using an early form of the Enneagram to, mm -hmm. again, help people guide other people and care for them. Uh, and counsel them. And so some people will tell you there's ancient Christian communities. Some will say an, uh, some ancient Muslim communities. Mm -hmm. But from there, it it spread out to some different places uh, in Europe and South America and eventually made its way into uh, the Jesuit order of priests, like I was saying before. And really interesting with them is it was actually, you know, quote unquote, secret knowledge mm -hmm. that they weren't really supposed to share with people because... Oh they were afraid of how it could be used and, you know, didn't want it to turn into a five minute Facebook quiz. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, eventually though, the cat was kind of let out of the bag. And so mm -hmm. for the past, you know, 50 years or so it's grown in popularity in the past 10 and even in the past five though, it has really taken off, especially in the U S right. among modern psychologists and leadership uh, people. And even as you mentioned earlier, religious groups. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of people think it's this new fad, but in reality, it's potentially the oldest of any kind of personality assessment uh, type tool. Right. And that's something that I can kind of feel just by looking at the Enneagram is it chart table um, just the way it's structured you don't really see this and it looks not dated but it looks like it goes back like quite a, quite far back right, um, just right. by the way it's drawn and how um, it connects like if you haven't seen the Enneagram is I'm sorry is it table or chart um, diagram whatever diagram <laughs> <laughs> um yeah for those who list who are listening if you haven't seen it if you give it a quick look it's a circle and it's structured it's structured um numbers one through nine the different types and um it shows how they're connected in different ways so um there are subtypes correct or um wings are those two different things or is that the same thing? They are two different things. Okay. Uh, so the nine, there's nine main types, but you can drill down into each one of those types in a lot of different ways. And it mm -hmm. gets really, really granular if you'll let it. Awesome. So why don't we start by going over each type um, just briefly, like what they are, what their motivations are, what their fears are. Okay, so uh, type one, which is what I am, by the way, type one is sometimes called like the perfectionist or the mm -hmm. reformer. Mm -hmm. uh, type ones care a lot about accuracy and and systems and structure and doing things the right way. You Got know? It. And so I always joke and say that ones can load the dishwasher better than you can. Uh, <laughs> we just, we know the best way to do it. We know the right way to do it. And so... Uh, it's always a joke, but any anybody in the room that is a one or that lives with a one is like, ha, 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 that's not that funny. 
I'm um, laughing because I have those tendencies. Like I'll hover it over my boyfriend sometimes and be like, oh, but you could do it this way. And it's <laughs> better if you do it this way, right? And he's just like, can I just do it my way? I'm like, no, no, but my way is the right way. But sure, like go ahead and do it the inefficient way. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of, it's funny, but it's also, you know, kind of true. So yeah. um, that's, that's a type one. What, what else, what am I missing? Do you have any questions about type ones before I go to the next one? Yeah. So what, what are their insecurities? What do they fear? Yeah. So ones are really big on morality typically. Mm -hmm. And what I fear probably the best way to say it is that that people would think that I'm not inherently good mm. right that that if I make a mistake or do something that harms someone else or that they take in a harmful way mm -hmm. that they might think that at my core I'm not loving I don't care I'm not a good person or you have like an ulterior motive or something right absolutely okay, okay. and um, just based off of the description that you've given so far, do you find that a lot of leaders and CEOs are type ones? Um, I know a few. So mm -hmm. there's there's um, someone I was just working with their company last week, and she is a type one, and mm -hmm. and she runs a children's consignment uh, like franchise. Oh, okay. I think they've got about a hundred different stores, mm -hmm. and so she's a very um, seasoned and like high level leader that I respect a ton. Who's an Enneagram one. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And I have a friend, I, she was episode two on my podcast. She is also a type one and she has her own um, marketing agency and everything that you described. She's very perfectionist reformer and like self-critical and mm -hmm. she can be critical of others as well with good intentions. Um, so yeah, what you described is very much on par with how she is. <laughs> So that's great. Yeah. So type two, the helper, or can you tell us more about type two? Yeah. Sometimes it's called the helper or type twos could be also called the advisor. There's lots of different titles for all of these and some of them are helpful. Some of them are not, but mm -hmm. the biggest thing that defines a two is type twos have this intrinsic need to be needed by other people, mm -hmm. right? Twos love to help and serve and come alongside other people. Twos mm -hmm. have almost a superpower of sensing when someone is in need and being able to show up and, and meet that need. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is that those same kind of qualities of helping others can cause twos to not actually do the things for themselves that they need to do mm -hmm. uh, and can lead twos to burnout. Twos work really hard, but they can actually work themselves tired uh, because of such a desire to help other people. I'm laughing because I think now I know for sure I'm a two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so before we started uh, recording here, we were talking about how I'm not sure if I'm a four or a two because I've taken the test a few times and gotten different results. Um, we'll talk more about the four in a bit, but I have a history of burning out because I just work so hard because I don't want to let other people down, like my yeah. clients down. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. more about the two, um, what um, are their insecurities? I know you mentioned the fear of like letting other people down. 
Yeah. So again, it goes back to that core need of twos needing to be needed. What you'll notice with all of these is that their greatest strengths are also related to their, their greatest weaknesses, just, Mm -hmm. you know, as you would expect. And so the fear is to not be needed by others or, or if they don't have something that they can provide or do for others that they're not wanted. Right. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a great fear of most twos is that if I can't offer something to this person, why would they even want me around? And do they want me around? And so a lot of twos struggle with that. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, And I'm looking at the diagram and I see like each number is connected to a different number. Um, We can dig Mm -hmm. into that in a bit, but are those subtypes or? They're not. So there's every number on the Enneagram is connected to four different numbers, two across the circle and then two immediately to the left and right of the number. Okay. And so across the circle are your kind of stress and security lines. You take okay. on different qualities of different numbers, mm-hmm. depending on whether you're in a stressful circumstance or a more secure one. And then to the left and right are what you referred to earlier as wings, okay. which are just kind of a little extra seasoning on your number, if you will. <laughs> okay, got it. Um, before we get too far off track, let's move on to number three. Yeah. So three sometimes called the achiever or the performer. Mm-hmm. Threes are uh, really dynamic and, and usually really talented. They love to, to win and to be efficient. Uh, their their big need though is to achieve, right? Threes typically love uh, to have the trophy or the medal. They mm-hmm. they want they want to win and they want to look good while they're doing it, and they usually do. Threes are chameleons and utility players. They can kind of fit into any role that is expected of them or wear any hat that they need to. Uh, and so that's that's a big thing for threes. The fear that they have though, that they wrestle with a lot of times, is just a simple fear of failure. Uh, they sometimes feel that their value is only in their performance in winning in being the best. And so they're afraid of not being able to do that and that they won't be valued if they can't win. It sounds like someone that you'd want working for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and honestly, you know, I'll play this card here. All of these numbers when they're healthy are people that you'd want working for you, but right, threes right. are very driven and usually, um, visionary type people. Mm -hmm. And so threes will work really, really hard. And that's honestly one of the struggles with threes that we may get to later is that you have to make sure that you're not a workaholic because threes, threes will be. Got it. Okay. Um, And I can also see how that's a wing off of two for me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So number four, the individualist or the the person that really wants to be unique in their own. um, Yeah. Yeah. So my wife and I have a little joke that whenever we see someone walking down the street who has like, you know, electric blue hair or something yeah. like that, we kind of rub each other, you know, with elbow and just be like, oh, probably a four, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, which is obviously a stereotype and and definitely not uh, a a reliable way to gauge that. Right, but, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the four, you know, sometimes called the unique person or the creative person. Mm-hmm. Uh, fours love to to bring something else that that no one does, right? That's their mm-hmm. core need is to be unique and be different. And, and they want to add value to whatever they're doing, but they want to add value that no one else can add, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so they love to have a unique skill set or a unique interest set that brings something that nobody else is bringing. Awesome. And so I'm assuming their fear is the opposite, being ordinary. 
Absolutely. Yeah. They would, they do not want to be in a situation, you know, where they're ordinary. The, the kind of joke with fours is if you and a four both show up to a party and you're both wearing the same shirt, one of you has to leave and change. <laughs> I feel like I know a couple of people like that. I went to school in Austin and I've lived in Portland and I think I've just encountered a oh, lot yeah. of people who feel the need to be completely unique like all the way around you know <laughs> yes austin and portland are incredible examples of cities that have a very four dynamic mm-hmm. right um cool so moving on to number five yeah so fives are sometimes called uh, the researcher or the wise person fives are usually just a well of information and and they're just sponges right they just mm-hmm. soak up knowledge all around them and and what's really funny kind of about a five is, you know, a five will just use a phrase in normal conversation. That's like way over everybody else's heads. Mm -hmm. And, um, like I know a guy who I'm pretty sure is a five and I've heard him probably four or five times now in normal, casual conversation, drop the phrase parasympathetic nervous system. And yeah, and, and oh, you, totally what you normal. just, yeah, <laughs> but your reaction right there is what everybody in the room does. Like, uh, I'm sorry, could you go back? You know, and, <laughs> and he will just look at you like, I don't understand what you missed, you know, yeah. like and what? that's how fives are sometimes, <laughs> you know, you'll ask a five, like, how do you know that? And a five is like, wait, how do you not know that? Oh my gosh, uh, and so, I know someone like this, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and fives are great. You want fives on your team and you certainly want them on your trivia team, right? Mm-hmm. Because they just know stuff. And mm-hmm. so the healthiest fives are able to kind of become like a walking library, a resource center for other people. When they yeah. need information, they can they can get it there. And so yeah. fives though, when you talk about fears, like probably one of five's biggest fears would be uh, incompetence, not knowing And so that can make it difficult for them to move forward if they don't feel like they have enough information yet. Got it. So are they like the type of person that if you ask them a question and they don't know the answer, they will take the time to figure out the answer on there. Even if you don't expect them to know, like they'll feel the need to go figure it out. Yeah. Hopefully if they're in a healthy spot, they'll take action on that. Um, Okay. If they're not, what they might do is just continue to ask you more and more questions. Okay. Okay. So Got it. Okay. I see. Um, and if they can't find the answer that kind of like is hurtful to them personally. It certainly can be. Yeah. That can really bind up a five and hopefully, you know, they can get to a point where they're like, okay, I can't get all the answers. I need to move forward anyway, Mm -hmm. but that can certainly be a hurdle for fives. Got it. Okay. I, I know someone who is on the Myers-Briggs and INTJ. And I definitely think he's a five as well because he's just like such an in, like an intellectual person, like so mm-hmm. brilliant and smart. But you can definitely see like when he can't figure something out, it's very difficult and in, like an internal battle for him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I did an Enneagram training a few months ago and mm-hmm. there was a guy that was a five there who was really skeptical the whole time. And then he eventually bought in. And at the end of it, he came up and told me that he was really skeptical, but he had spent uh, the night before uh, three hours researching it because he knew the train was coming. Uh, I'm like, yeah, bro, you're definitely a five. (laughs) Everyone else was like, oh, I can't wait to learn. He's like, but let me study first. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And he did. He did. 
Okay, cool. And number six, um, I'm looking at this diagram. It says the loyalist. Yeah, so the loyalist is a really great title for sixes. Um, sixes have this need to be safe and secure, right? But not just for themselves. Most sixes are also really concerned with everybody else's safety and security. Okay. And probably the biggest telltale sign of a six is most sixes tend to think in terms of worst case scenario, right? So, for example, my wife is a six and you know, we'll be driving somewhere and go over a bridge. And I've literally heard her ask the question, what would we do if we accidentally drove off into the water? Right. <laughs> or, or do you ever think about what would happen if we accidentally, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't ever think about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but, but sixes a lot of times think that way. And, and it's funny whenever a one six realizes that somebody else is a six and that they both think that way. And it's just this like watershed moment of, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, I'm not the only one that thinks this way. Mm -hmm. And that sounds crazy, but there's also, there's people out there who I want to have already thought through the worst case scenario before it happens. Right. Like right. I would say, I don't want firefighters showing up to my house on fire being like, huh, I never thought about what to do in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so What's really interesting with sixes is they might be anxious about some things whenever everything is calm and normal, mm -hmm. but when crap like hits the fan, mm -hmm. sixes are a lot of times the most calm people in the room because they've already thought about it, even though you and I are experiencing it for the first time. Interesting. And what is their fear? Is it being unprepared for the worst case scenario or uh, is there something else? So yeah, that's certainly part of it, that preparedness, but sixes struggle with anxiety typically mm. and anxiety is different than fear right fear is you know something tangible that's right in front of you that could harm you anxiety is the possibility of something that right. could harm you the anticipation and so, right and so it's more anxiety than it is fear for sixes and and so what most of them don't realize is that if they'll just let that continue like if they'll think through the process they're actually more well prepared to counter that potential fear than they even realize um slight um going off the road a little bit here is yeah. do you find that type sixes would be more inclined to have an anxiety disorder because of this you know i i don't think that only sixes struggle with anxiety right but right. i do feel like sixes probably have an inordinate amount of anxiety mm -hmm. and part of that is probably environmental i'm sure that there are mm -hmm. uh, right. places and time periods where that's not the case but in today's world my goodness like with the proliferation of social media and just mm -hmm. instantaneous news updates i mean how could you not be anxious about that stuff uh, and so yeah i do think that there there is something there you know, I've made the comment about sixes having potentially the most trouble falling asleep at night in different <laughs> trainings I've done. Mm -hmm. And the sixes around the room will usually light up and they're like, yes, that is 100% true. Um, it's really funny because I think I was a six when I was a kid. I have this one very specific memory. We were, I was in elementary school and they had firefighters come and tell us about fire safety and tell us about how um, how to be prepared in case of a fire and think of um, mm -hmm. an exit route. And then I just became obsessed with things like that. Um, 
it wasn't just that, but this is my specific memory. I lived in a two-story home, but it's like a very block, like a square home, like a dollhouse. Mm -hmm. So there's Mm -hmm. not really anywhere you can exit out the window besides going straight down. Um, So I just remember looking out my window and planning how I would escape and I couldn't sleep at night. And that's all I think about for like, I don't remember how long. And (laughs) this just makes me think of that. And I was like, probably like seven or eight. And it just consumed me things like, like, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, last week I heard someone else tell a story about living in a two story house and obsessing about their fire escape route and there are six. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I, I can see that in like, um, I see that's loyalist, skeptic and questioner. I thought was, I was, I would ask so many questions as a kid, just needing to know everything, but not just for the knowledge factor. It was more so I could plan around having that knowledge does that make sense <laughs> absolutely makes sense yeah yeah that's so interesting I never I didn't realize that until like literally this moment that I might have been <laughs> a six when I was a kid <laughs> that's awesome um, yeah okay cool so number seven so sevens are tons and tons of fun right sometimes they're called the enthusiast or the adventurous person mm-hmm. I, I kind of half joke about sevens that they could you know, start on one end of a street with an empty vehicle. And by the time they get to the end of it, they've filled it up with people that they're ready to take on an adventure. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) And so sevens just love the joyful, fun side of life. Their, their big need though, and this is surprising to a lot of people is that sevens have this core need to avoid pain or difficulty. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And so sevens love the good side of life, but if there's something hard or, or, or challenging or painful, it's just easier to do something more fun instead. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're great to have around. They bring so much energy and spontaneity and joy and ideas and dreams. And, and so that part of a seven is great, but that big fear of, of difficult things can cause them to, to skip out on some things that maybe seem difficult or even boring. Mm -hmm. They'd rather do something else. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the deal with sevens, but man, I love sevens and they're some of the numbers I'm most envious of because I am so different from them. <laughs> Are they more carefree naturally too, because of that adventurous side? A lot of times, and at least on the surface, you know, I've had the mm-hmm. the pleasure of, of knowing some sevens pretty closely mm-hmm. and, and it's really pretty amazing when a seven can get to a point where they will open up about some insecurities or understand their own insecurities Mm -hmm. because there's a lot more there than anybody would ever guess. Mm -hmm. The sevens that I know, people expect them to be, you know, singing karaoke and dancing on top of tables and things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in their kind of darker or slower moments, Mm -hmm. sevens can be really, really deep and introspective. They just don't normally let themselves get to that space. Interesting. So do they internalize a lot of the opposite of like how people perceive them? So internalize a lot of like the sadness or anything like that. They just. Well, they try not to, they try to push it down and distract themselves from it. Uh, It's only whenever they're being very intentional about it, do they get to that level? Otherwise they're just trying to distract themselves from it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, and number eight, the challenger. Yeah. The challenger or probably my favorite 
title for eight mm -hmm. is the advocate. The advocate. Uh, okay. Yeah. Eights are typically really strong willed, you know, not afraid of anything, climb any mountain, bust through any wall kind of people. And, and what they need, their kind of core need is to challenge or to be against something or to be for something, right? Eights love a good fight, a good sparring match. Mm -hmm. But why I love the title, the advocate is because eights are normally fighting on behalf of someone who can't fight for themselves, mm. right? And so you see a lot of eights in kind of the nonprofit world because they are attracted to causes, mm -hmm. like worthy causes. And an, an eight will have a reputation for maybe being hard or aggressive. But mm -hmm. what most people don't know is that eights are always testing everyone else around them, right? Mm -hmm. They want to know, do you have a cause that's, that you're willing to stand up for, right? Mm -hmm. it, what are you made of? And so eights come off sometimes as not caring when in fact the opposite is true. They care so deeply and so passionately about things. Mm -hmm. They'll just put everything they've got behind whatever the cause is that they care about. I'm laughing because I see that as connected to a two and I totally do some of those things and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> um, yeah. um, cool. Um, we'll dig into that in a second. And then the yeah. last type is type nine. Yeah. So you've got type nine, who's sometimes called the mediator or the peacemaker. Mm -hmm. And type nines are just amazing. It's another of just my favorite numbers when I think through different people that I know. Mm -hmm. Type nines have this incredible superpower of perspective. And, and it's no, um, no secret and, and not anything that I made up. Other people will tell you this, that the nine sits on top of the Enneagram diagram. And it's because they're perched in such a place where they can see everybody else's perspectives, mm -hmm. right? And so at least in my experience, nines a lot of times have the most trouble deciding what number they are, especially if they take some sort of an online assessment because they understand everybody's viewpoint, right? And so when you describe a three, they're like, oh, I could see that. You describe a five, they're like, oh, that makes sense too. And a seven, oh, I could get, get behind that too. And so um, nines though, make the most incredible kind of mediators and mm -hmm. discussion leaders mm -hmm. when they can get themselves to engage mm -hmm. because their biggest need, uh, is to avoid conflict. And Got so it. if a nine can overcome that fear of conflict, uh, then they can bring people together better than any other number. And do you find that type nines are typically empaths? Um, tell me more what you mean by that. Um, so someone that identifies as an empath is someone who kind of is like an emotional sponge to those around them. They take on whatever other people are feeling without even knowing it. So like if someone in the room is feeling like anxious, they might be like, man, I'm feeling like extra anxious mm. and mm. I don't know why, cause nothing is personally making them feel that way, but they're kind of absorbing that energy from someone else. Yeah. So I could certainly see that happening. Probably a little bit different way that I would put it is that nines are able to see whatever it is that other people are mm -hmm. feeling or experiencing it and understand why they would be feeling or experiencing it. Got right? it. So it's a more conscious, um, a more conscious yeah. than, okay, got it. Yeah. I, you won't find many nines that will like shoot you down whenever you say you're feeling or going through something there, you know, nines aren't going to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know, mm -hmm. and they usually get it on, you know, understand it the way that you are understanding it and can, 
I mean, can empathize with it. So maybe that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a crossover with, with what you're saying. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, there's so many different kinds of people, but I have like those two types of friends when I'm sharing, how I'm feeling there's a person that's like, Oh yeah, I like totally understand. And then this person like, or you could think of it from this way. And I'm just like, (laughs) I think I want to go toward and talk to this friend more about how I'm like, right in my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's like, there's value in all those different people, right? Right, Like it's good to have someone that identifies with what you're feeling, but eventually you also need somebody who's going to kick you in the butt and help you actually do something about it. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. So now that we've covered, briefly covered each type, um, I don't think we have enough time to go into the wings and how they affect everything, but you did mention the wings are the numbers to the left and the right of your your type. How mm-hmm. and then you said that's like a little seasoning on top of your actual type. How yeah. how do you know can you explain that a bit more? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, a lot of people I've heard people say things like, Well, I'm a you know, three with a two wing, and so today I'm being a two. And really that's not how it works. Okay. Um your core number is your core number and that doesn't change, Mm -hmm. but you might add on top of it, some of the traits of your wing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as an example, I am a one with a nine wing. So I'm very concerned about doing things the right way Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, making sure that everything lines up how it should Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But my nine wing comes in a lot of times because I, I want, you know, nine's, want this lack of conflict and want everybody to get along. Mm -hmm. And so for me, how that works itself out is, okay, I have a system that if everybody will just get on board with my system, everybody will be happier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? How those two kind of combine for that? Yeah. So can you only have one wing? (laughs) Uh, Again, you'll talk to different people who will tell you different things. Uh And you technically, the way I teach it, you technically have two wings, but one of them is dominant. Right. And so uh, I technically have a two wing, but whenever I take like an online Enneagram assessment, two is always my lowest score. And so Mm -hmm. for the two to show up in me uh, is a very, very rare thing unless I'm just very intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people will tell you that somewhere in the middle of life, whatever that phrase means, uh, you almost start switching wings because Mm -hmm. wings tend to balance us out. And you'll notice that there's a lot of the numbers on the Enneagram that are right next to each other have a very, have very different and almost opposite qualities. Mm -hmm. And so your wings can actually tend to balance you out. And just like, you know, speaking literally, if you only had one wing, if you could fly, you'd only go in circles. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you start most people, hopefully somewhere in the middle of life realize, okay, I've got to balance this thing out Mm -hmm. and you start living into your non-dominant wing and almost switch. And Mm -hmm. so I tell people all the time that one of the best places to focus, if you want to focus on self-development using the Enneagram Mm -hmm. is to look at your non-dominant wing and focus on growth in that area. Interesting. Um, And is that something you can just figure out by like reflecting or is there, how, how do you figure out which is the dominant and non-dominant exactly? 
Yeah. Well, multiple ways to do that. So some Enneagram assessments, you know, there's good ones and bad ones. Some mm -hmm. will tell you what all of your scores are for the different numbers. So uh, for you, if you are a two, then mm -hmm. your potential wings would be a one and a three, right? And mm -hmm. so you would look at your scores for the one and the three and whichever okay. one of those is higher would be your dominant wing. Um, okay. But you could also listen to the descriptions of the nine types and decide which one of those Mm -hmm. you resonate with more and that's probably also your dominant wing. Okay, got it. And looking at the diagram, I see that each number has an arrow that points to the number and points away from the number. What are those um, yeah. meaning? So the lines that go across the Enneagram, sometimes mm -hmm. you'll see an arrow in those. And sometimes they're just lines. Mm -hmm. the, the arrows can be a little bit confusing because right. the lines actually go both directions. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so as a two, for example, you are connected to the number four and the number eight. Mm -hmm. And what those mean, the number, the line between two and eight is what I'll call your stress line. And the number between two and four is what I'll call your security line. Okay. In security, in places and around people that you feel secure, that you don't feel stressed out, that you're mm -hmm. relaxed, uh, think about, you know, the best vacation you've ever been on or things like that, you tend to take on more qualities of a four. Mm -hmm. But when you are stressed, and for twos specifically, it takes a lot to make this happen. But when twos get really, really stressed out, they'll take on qualities of an eight. So in trainings, when I'm talking to twos, I might say something like, hey, twos, I know you're super nice and helpful to everybody all the time. Has there ever been a point where you've gotten so stressed out that you just like almost literally bit someone's head off? <laughs> and the twos have the reaction that you just had. And then like, <laughs> what the heck? Like, I hate that people know that because yes, that absolutely has happened. Uh, and that's what it is to take on some of the eight qualities in, a, in stress. Now, the stress qualities don't have to be negative and the, mm -hmm. you know, relaxed security qualities don't have to be positive. Mm -hmm. You can take on either one, but being aware of that helps you take on the, the positive qualities of either one. I'm laughing because you're right. It takes a lot to get me to that point where I'm just like fed up and won't put up with anything and will mm -hmm. bite someone's head off, which I've done on occasion, very rarely, <laughs> but I can get there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I tell people that's the biggest record scratching moment on the whole Enneagram is when a two takes on the negative qualities of an eight, everybody in the room just doesn't know what to do with that. Really? <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because something like this happened last year with my friends and it was definitely, I could feel that whole situation with my friends and I could tell no one knew what to do. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, who one of are my, you and what have you done with Michelle? Yeah. And one of my friends came to me afterwards and she was just like talking to me about it. And, she, and like, I was like, oh, we've never had this kind of conversation before. Probably because she's like navigating through this with me because yeah. this has never happened with our friend group before. <laughs> But yeah, that's so funny. Um, okay, cool. So what then are the subtypes? So subtypes is a big, big rabbit hole. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know how much time you, you want to spend on that, but the quick version of it is that uh, each number has these three different subtypes. And um, there's, again, different names for those, but there's kind of the the one-on-one -on -one or the interpersonal type. There's the social subtype. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the self-preservation subtype. And so those are all, you could think of all of those as modifiers for okay. each number. Mm-hmm. And so there's, I think there's even a book called like 27 types or something, because if you take oh. all nine types and three right. types under each, right. uh, then you've got 27 different options there. And that one thing it does is it helps explain why you can take a whole bunch of people that are all, you know, sixes, for example, Mm -hmm. and they're all very different. Now sixes are even more complicated because there's two types of sixes that each have their own three subtypes. And so in reality, there's actually 30 different options when you take subtypes into, into account. Oh, wow. Interesting. And how do you know your subtype? How do you figure that out? The best way I would say is to uh, just study the general descriptions of those. And so you can find those pretty much anywhere. Like just if you were to Google, you know, subtypes of a two Mm -hmm. and you would get these three different descriptions of those three different types of twos. And one of them won't make any sense at all. One of them will kind of make sense. And one of them will be like, yes, that is totally me. Uh, and so you're typically repressed in one of them have Mm -hmm. one that's dominant and then one that's just like, meh, sometimes. Okay, so I'm trying to understand, can any type touch all types? <laughs> um, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, Because I see that there's the wings, so you're touching the numbers next to you, and then there's the, um, the growth and stress ones right. where you're going across the diagram. Yeah. So I, I think that there's overlap between every single number, right? It may not be immediately obvious. Again, like as far as the lines on the diagram go, every Mm -hmm. number touches four other numbers, but that's obviously not all of the numbers. Mm -hmm. However, uh, there are, again, rabbit hole here, there are a lot of different ways that you can uh, look at the Enneagram. There's something called triads that divide it up into three different groups Mm -hmm. uh, according to their how they process information and make decisions, Mm -hmm. which puts some numbers together that aren't actually touching. There's time orientations and, and, um, uh, harmony triads and all these things that I'm sure that you probably don't have time to go into today. No, not today. But I mean, this is so interesting. I think I understand better now why people get so obsessed with this because I feel like there's always something else to learn. Oh yeah. It keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Um, So the last thing I wanted to do, and I I think this might take up a little bit of time, but I was hoping since you do group coaching and team, team coaching, do -hmm. you have um, advice, like a really small piece of advice for each type on um, like for entrepreneurs of each type? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So what I would say to ones who are doing something entrepreneurial is to find what I call good enough, right? Uh, Ones want things to be perfect. And what I would say for ones is if you always aim for perfect, you'll never get anywhere, right? You have to risk being wrong and then make adjustments as necessary. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Type two. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for type two, I would tell twos to stay focused when to start a business or start some new venture, they're gonna encounter a lot of different needs that they could meet, Mm -hmm. but they need to stay focused and try not to do everything. You gotta remember that if you say yes to one thing, you're always having to say no to something else. (laughs) Got it, I'm taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) Does that one resonate a little bit? Yeah, it resonates hardcore right now because I'm like, 
struggling so much because I've said yes to so many things and like <laughs> my friends are just like you've bit off so much more than you can chew and I'm just like I know yeah well but good I'll send you the bill all. later <laughs> <laughs> all right number well, three <laughs> number three we'll move on and stop picking on you uh just a side note most people like Enneagram teachers will tell you that you have figured out what your number is whenever you hear the description that sounds the worst to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I would not want to be that person. Ah, oh, crap. I'm that person. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll stop picking <laughs> on you with that. But uh, type threes, what I would tell type threes in entrepreneurship is to double down on their relationships. Mm -hmm. Threes tend to get really excited about what they do and that's a good thing, but uh, they'll be tempted to, kind of put those relationships that they have on the back burner because it doesn't seem like the best use of their time. And I would just really encourage threes not to give into that. You may not need those close relationships now, but you will soon enough. And so you're going to want to make sure to keep them healthy uh, so that they're still available when you do need them later. Oh my gosh, I totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four. Number four, what I would tell fours, and this one I'll explain, but I, I tell fours to understand and ride the waves. Mm -hmm. uh, fours tend to be kind of the most emotionally up and down people on the whole Enneagram. And mm -hmm. so when they're getting into entrepreneurship and it's going well, you know, it's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. But when something, you know, unexpected, unexpectedly bad happens, fours can kind of lose momentum pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But if they understand that emotions come in waves and just like real waves, there's always another one coming, mm -hmm. uh, they can be patient and kind of get through the downtime in order to, to catch the next wave. And so just being aware of that is huge, huge for them. Got it. So embrace the lows as much as you enjoy the highs. Yeah. And don't let it discourage you too mm -hmm. much. I mean, you, fours value, you know, honesty and authenticity. And so mm -hmm. it's not saying that the bad times won't happen. Mm -hmm. It's just reminding them that good times will eventually follow. Got it. Awesome. And then type five. So a big piece of advice I'd give to type fives in entrepreneurship is to commit to some launch dates and mm -hmm. deadlines. Mm -hmm. You know, fives, like we said, love to research and plan, and that's all really great. Uh, doing your homework and knowing your stuff beforehand is great, but there's always more research that you could do, more books to read, more podcasts to listen to, whatever it is. But if you never stop preparing, right, then you'll never actually start. And so mm -hmm. for fives need to set a launch date on projects or whatever it is, do all the prep that they can before that. But when the deadline comes, move on it. Okay. Awesome. Next is type six. So type sixes, I would tell them to use their anxiety as a starting point too often. You know, when sixes get in that worst case scenario thinking, they get anxious and overwhelmed by something. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that that's where the process stops. But mm -hmm. I would tell them, don't let anxiety be the end result. Instead, ask yourself, okay, I'm thinking through this worst case scenario. If this actually does happen, what would I do? And then write down what they would do because what will happen is they will realize that they actually are better prepared for those things than mm -hmm. what they thought they were. Mm -hmm. And they'll have, you know, a little manual potentially of how to respond when those things happen, if they do happen. Yeah. That's good feedback. Awesome. And then number seven, uh, type sevens hate what I'm getting ready to say, but I tell them to do, <laughs> <laughs> to do one boring thing every day. 
Right? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, that just sounds like absolute torture to sevens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, entrepreneurship and starting new things is exciting and, yeah. and they love that part of it. But any entrepreneur that's done it for more than like three days knows that there's grunt work and menial tasks and boring things that come with that. Right. Right. And, and what happens with seven sometimes is they get so excited about the fun things and they just keep putting off the other things that they need to do right? and it piles up on them. And then they like, they're just not motivated to get through the pile that they have created for themselves. And so mm-hmm. I tell them to do at least one boring thing every day, partially to, to chip away at the list, but also to just get them in the habit of it. It's mm-hmm. almost, almost like muscle memory. So when the time comes that they do actually have to spend more than a moment doing something boring or difficult, they're more used to it. And it's not such a shock to the system to have to change gears. Got it. Awesome. So do something to keep you grounded. You're not always like high in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Pick one boring thing every day to do, even if it's taking the longest line at the, you know, the grocery store. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I don't think anyone would ever think to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a discipline. It's a discipline. Mm -hmm. Cool. Number eight. Uh, So eights, I would tell eights to not let their passion control them. Uh, Eights, as we said, are usually really fiery and passionate and they don't like being told what to do. But ironically, eights end up doing a lot more than what they need to do because they feel like if they don't do it, it won't get done or it won't get done right. And, and eights just tend to take on so many things that no one asks them to take on. Mm -hmm. And then they will get overburdened and overworked and can become bitter towards other people by that. And so uh, it's just really important for eights to understand, like, if you are going to be in control of what you're doing, then you need to be your own boss and set boundaries on yourself uh, to make sure you're healthy and can sustain what you're doing so that you have a long-term impact, Mm -hmm. not just making waves right here and right now. That's also me. (laughs) (laughs) I have a hard time saying no and setting boundaries because I again, like I'm a two and I want to please people. So if someone asks me something and I'm just like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whereas eights are more like, oh, I'll just do it. Right. A two is like, let me help you do that. And a two is like, I'll just do it. Right. And so they'll end up taking on 20 different things that are not even their job because they just want to be the ones that do it. Yeah. Cool. And then finally, number nine. So type nines, this one's kind of fun. Uh, I would tell a nine to crowdsource their energy, Mm -hmm. right? Nines, because they are so like uh, empathetic to use the word you said earlier, Mm -hmm. they can, I mean, that can take a toll, right? And nines, it's funny, like nines probably enjoy naps more than any other number, right? Nines and fives (laughs) um, because the world can be so overstimulating almost. And Mm -hmm. so what I would tell them is to kind of crowdsource that energy when they get tired or disengaged, especially when they're having to deal with a lot of conflict, which they hate. Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell them to find a source of inf- inspiration uh, from someone who is maybe decisive or like someone they know or a book that you know talks about it or a podcast or something and get away for a time, depending on what it is. You know, it could be an hour, a day or a weekend, right? And spend time mm-hmm. with whatever that source of in- inspiration is mm-hmm. and absorb that quality that they need to press forward, right? And so... Mm-hmm. That's just a really good way for them to come back refreshed and refocused is to kind of crowdsource whatever energy it is that they need in order to keep going. 
Awesome. I think that all of that was definitely very helpful, especially for any founders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, anyone who's listening, um, who's running their own thing or leading their own team. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much for going through um, each type and providing some really great advice. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. But Ryan, thank you so much for um, sharing all the insight and knowledge that you have, or not even all, just like a little grain of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I know it goes much deeper and there's so much more we can talk about, like like what relationships there are between the types and who works well with who and things like that. But yeah. I think that I'm definitely hooked and I'm sure some of the people that are listening are definitely interested, interested and in learning more. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, I really appreciate the time today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. A big thank you to anyone who's listening. If you're looking for more information on Enneagram coaching, please contact Ryan at www.evrgrnteams.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and mind your hustle. Hey, thanks for joining us today on another Enneagram podcast. As fellow leaders, we know it can be frustrating when it seems like you always run into the same problems on your team with the same people. But leaders just like you are learning how to lead their teams better using the Enneagram and you can too. So if you like what you heard today, we would love it if you would share this podcast on social media. And leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts, preferably only good you know, reviews and ratings. That would be great. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram or at Another Enneagram or head over to our website, anotherenneagram.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of Another Enneagram Podcast.